This is Natasha Kazali. She is a singer songwriter from San Diego. Um, she writes and records and performs music under the moniker Natula. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you refer to your music as third culture pop as a nod to your third culture identity crisis. <laughs> Yeah. You also run the Calabash School of Music and Arts in La Jolla, and you teach music and inspire students to write their own original material there. Um, you are also the founder and front woman for Baby, Bo uh, Baby Bushka, an all-female eight-piece Kate Bush experience, right? Yes. You Welcome. Gotta... Thank you for being <laughs> Thank here. <you. laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what? let's just start with what you had going on pre-COVID and kind of what happened um, when it hit and what your transition was like into that timing. Sure. Um, so right before the pandemic, um, Baby Bushka, actually, we were getting ready to go um, to the UK on tour mm. um, and also go on a West Coast tour. So we were pretty much rehearsing every week and um, getting ready for that. And um, then, of course, the pandemic hit and we had to cancel or postpone our tour. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so we pretty much went into lockdown and um, we had an album that we were going to release on tour. So our West Coast tour was like an album release tour and the UK tour as well. And so we ended up actually releasing it online instead and um, selling like a short run of vinyls. And that went really well. And that was helpful for us and um, to support the band during that, you know, especially those first few weeks, they were so um, scary and uncertain. And yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, that was Baby Bushka. Baby Bushka pretty much just got shut down and um, got put to sleep for a while. And um, and then for me personally, uh, at my school, uh, we had to close everything and all the classes ceased and the building kind of went dark. Mm -hmm. And all the classes went online um, that we could, you know, a lot of the music lessons went online. Some people just wanted to stop lessons altogether. All the group classes, of course, stopped. And then, um, you know, with this, uh, uh, as a teacher, I felt really, you know, disconnected from my students. And when we went online, I decided I was going to create a character, an online character. Yeah. <laughs> Not far off from these cheeks. And, uh, <laughs> I put like red lipstick on my cheeks and wore glitter and um, I created this character called Miss Natty. And so I, I would like log on and see my students on Zoom and I'd just be this crazy character and try and make them laugh because they looked all so sad those first few yeah. weeks on Zoom. And, um, and then with that character, I ended up creating like a kid's TV show and um, where I taught humans of all ages about singers like Bjork and um, musicians like Sun Ra and Kate Bush. And so um, they were like really fun 11 minute episodes with um, guests and um, paper mache, you know, props. And it was super fun. And so I did about seven episodes and um, and that was sort of my big pandemic creative project. You know, yeah. I have one that was mine. <laughs> and, uh, Is Miss Natty going to live on? Yes, I think she is. Um, I took a break with Miss Natty after about eight weeks of Miss Natty creativity. It was a lot of work. I, at the beginning, I was just like, I filmed an episode and then I would like 
I would film every Tuesday and I would edit for like five days. Like I wouldn't sleep. And then I'd like release it on a Sunday. And I was very ambitious with my recording releasing schedule. And I hand drew all these activity packs so parents could like download them at home and the kids could do them while they were wow. watching. Yeah, I was pretty involved. And so it was exhausting. It was really fun, but it was exhausting. Eventually I started to slow down and then, um, uh, and then I took a break after the seventh episode to kind of uh, recalibrate. Um, mm-hmm. So season two, I guess, is in the works eventually <laughs> one day. Yeah, we'll see, awesome. I guess. yeah. So things are starting to somewhat transition back in person at your studio, but some of it remains virtual. And how is all that working out? Um, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's hard. Um, it's tricky uh, to be sort of like a school where you have to sort of... Um, kind of feel out how your clients feel and your teachers and sort of make these decisions and um, know even what to do and what the right thing is to do. You know, it's uh, it's hard, um, but we are doing it. And so far, knock on wood, it's going okay. Um, so we basically um, built an outdoor classroom. And um, so we could teach outdoor um, art classes with a limited group of kids and wearing masks and, and um, we are doing it with homeschool pods. So there's like small groups of pods and then, um, yeah, our music teachers are still teaching online. And then some of them are also beginning to teach in-person classes. And so it's a lot of hand-washing before and after and sanitizing and wearing masks and staying six feet apart and leaving all the doors and windows open and, you know, doing what we can to try to stay as safe as possible. And, and um, so, yeah. That's yeah. it's great that you're making it happen. And speaking of the homeschooling pods, did you find that once um, school went back in session and everyone had to do distance learning, did you have more interest in the private lessons at that point or um, mm-hmm. than you had previously? Because I've, I've been curious with kids yeah. not being able to have, you know, their normal music classes mm-hmm. at school. I wondered if that would be a boost for people yeah. with private studios. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, there's always a sort of like a new rush of students at the beginning of every school year that want lessons. Um, and it didn't feel as intense as it has in the past. Yeah. But what was more uh, popular was the group art classes, mm-hmm. just these like homeschool pods that were desperate to have like in-person instruction. And um, I found that it's been really hard to get people to sign up for the online classes at Calabash anyway. Mm. Um, just everyone's sort of, I keep hearing the Zoom fatigue uh, that everyone's, these kids have, and especially the kids that have to do online schooling. Yeah. They want to break when they're done and they want to do something in person. So the art has been probably the most popular uh, program that we've had um, since we opened five years ago. You know, the art was always, it was always really music that was our main um, uh our main income and then the art classes this semester have like just taken off so that's really nice mm-hmm. um, yeah it's interesting it's so hard to predict what what's going to work and what people want and it's changing all the time it feels like. i know it really is yeah. it's so hard because you you just i kind of feel like i'm shouting into a void sometimes because <laughs> everybody's sort of all over the place when it comes to mm-hmm. Uh, lessons, you know, it's just, I think people really want to continue on with what they're doing, but the zoom thing, you know, can be weird, but then it can be really effective. And so um, I I definitely get it. Um, But I think over time, the more, the more we're going to have to rely on this type of technology, the more everybody will get accustomed to using it. But yeah, 
Hopefully yeah. that won't be the case for too much longer. Yeah. I'm going right. to stop saying that though. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's um maybe not as bad for adults, but for the little kids, it's like when they have to be in school all day, I can, I can understand how they don't want screens. Imagine mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't want screen time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, before we got started here, we were talking about the fact that you um, just recorded an album. So I want to hear all about the album, but I wanted to back up just a little bit because um, you have a really interesting background because you actually um, came from the Grand Cayman Islands, right? Yeah. And um, that the background of your parents really heavily influenced your musical interests mm -hmm. and you went to school for, or you specialize in ethnomusicology right yeah. tell yeah. me what that is um sure uh well ethnomusicology is a study of um traditional music world music i guess you could say um and uh so i've always been really interested in um music from around the world especially traditional folk music from different countries and uh when i was at um cardiff university studying music um it became my focus i just as i started taking classes i was like wow i just this is what i want to hone in on. And um, so I did my thesis on actually Caymanian folk music. So it was a really um, beautiful journey, you know, to travel so far away from home to end up studying more intimately about where I grew up than I had ever been able to, or, you know, have this opportunity to learn about my country and the music and the culture, something that's not, um, you know, taught at school mm -hmm. and is really hard to find, honestly. And um, it's sort of like a something you have to really look for and uh, search for. And then even still, it can be quite mysterious. And, um, and so my thesis actually became the only in-depth writing on Caymanian folk music that has, that has ever been done. So mm -hmm. it was, um, nice to feel also that I was contributing to uh, the cultural heritage of my my country and that was really special and um, so yeah that was um, and just so the Cayman Islands uh, a little background on the Cayman mm -hmm. Islands the British overseas territory it's in the Caribbean um, south of Cuba west of Jamaica and um, my thesis focused on this woman who uh, is named Julia Hydes and she lived to be 106 years old wow. and she was the only female drummer in the history of Caymanian folk music so she um, was a real pioneer and legend and uh, personal hero of mine and so the whole paper was about her and yeah. I got to interview her at 100 and you interviewed um, her yeah yeah so wow. that was part of it it was a whole year of like research and like field recordings and going into the archives and just sort of digging up everything I could find which you know um, some of it I had to create myself you know mm -hmm. through interviews with her and um so it was, yeah it was really special yeah yeah very cool so now with your your um flavor of music being more folk pop at this point, how is, how is that influenced by your background? Yes. Or is uh, it? Sorry. I'm just going <laughs> to plug, plug my computer in yes. because it's about to die. I forgot to plug it in. Um, yeah. So like, I guess, um, here we go. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up in the Cayman Islands and my dad's Lebanese and I always felt um, not only that I had this real curiosity about, 
you know, the world that I lived in, um, especially growing up in a very small island where I felt like I was um, always far away from everything else that was happening in the world. And um, I'm sure anyone who grew up in a small town or can relate to that feeling. But um, I also felt that I couldn't necessarily feel completely at home in Cayman because I felt a little bit like an outsider too. Um, being that I was half Lebanese and then I'd go to Lebanon and visit my dad's family there. And I still wouldn't feel like hundred percent like belonging because yeah. I was also half Caymanian. So it was always like this sort of like, who am I? Where am I from? What does it mean to be these things? And yeah. um, so I feel like I spent a lot of my um, early creative life and musical career trying to explore those ideas. And um and a lot of my songs were about that and this idea of what home means. And, um, and so uh, I guess that's um, sort of where all those themes come from, especially in the earlier uh, Natula stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me about the album that you've just recorded. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, <About> that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone knows that I made an album yet, actually, um, but they'll soon know because I'm going <laughs> to release it hopefully one day soon. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I guess how it happened was uh, my friend Jordan Andrine, he has a studio. Uh, he records everything to tape and we recorded our baby Bushka album with him all analog to tape. It was a beautiful experience. And um, he called me and he said he had some time in the studio at the end of August. And I, and I said, Oh, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe we can do something. So um, the time was approaching. I had some songs in mind, um, but actually it was when the time actually came that I started writing a lot of material and um, it was a, uh, yeah, this, the album, I guess, is um, it's quite a personal album. I mean, it's a lot about um, grief and um, sort of uh, dealing with uh, grief in the for the first time in my life, really, because uh, one of our band members passed away in June. Um, and, uh, and so I, the creation of the album came, you know, a couple months after her passing. So a lot of the themes and a lot of the songs that I wrote um, sort of or an expression of what I was going through and that whole experience. And so um, it was very uh, therapeutic for me and cathartic. And I, I think um, part of my processing of everything. Yeah. And um, I haven't even thought too much about how I'm gonna share it yet, um, or even like the visuals that I wanna create to sort of go along with it, but it's done, it's getting mixed and I'm, I'm happy with it. So yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, if you're comfortable talking about it, I know that you had put together a collection of um, Nina's poetry, too. Yeah. And that was that was a big project. What's happening yeah. with that? Well, um, yeah. So uh, when Nina died, you know, suddenly um, there was a group of us, a small group of women, her close um, her closest girlfriends who kind of got together to help the family. Um, go through her things and um, organize a funeral. And, you know, it was, a, it was like two weeks of really intense um, sort of diving into all of those things. And in one way, it was really a nice uh, distraction, I guess. Um, but uh, uh, within that period, when, as we were going through her stuff, you know, there was all this, um, all these pages and notebooks and sheet music and 
And I was aware of her original songs because she'd played them for me and we'd done concerts together. And um, and I I just, I couldn't uh, not um, let, I couldn't let them just, yeah. you know, go to an attic somewhere and dust waste away, you know? So um, I, yeah, as I was helping the family kind of go through these things, um, her friend Marielle and I, uh, we went and we basically scanned like 600 pages of her original poetry and music. And then the following months, I just spent going through it all and transcribing it because it was all handwritten. There was nothing typed up. And if there, if, if it was typed up, it was just a piece of paper typed up. I'd have to type it up again anyway. And yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of um, transcribing and typing everything up. And then with her music, the only thing I could find were these Facebook live recordings, you know, because Nina uh, wanted to make an album for years. I mean, some of these songs were 10 years old or five years old. And um, and she often would go on Facebook Live or Instagram Live and she'd play her original songs. And and so uh, part of the, I kind of approached it like an ethnomusicology project, honestly. I was like, mm -hmm. I need to find out everything and try to collect all these clues that she left behind. and. Um, so I, I did a lot of Facebook research. I like scanned her entire social media because it was almost like a public diary of hers. Yeah. And I was able to find about nine um, recordings of her original songs, which then I, I kind of organized into this Google Drive with lyrics and any kind of sheet music I could find. And then I got um, much far, far more talented musicians than me who are good at transcribing, like her friends, like Ed Kornhauser and Bob Pierzak and Lexi Mbatia, and they all worked together to transcribe it all to sheet music. And so yeah. it really was a group effort. And um, I just kind of helped organize it all. And then, yeah. you know, but, um, and then after, once all that work was done, which is a few months, um, putting the book together was easy and, and, um, really happy that that got done because yeah. um, that's an incredible tribute to her thank you how amazing yeah. and i i wonder if just the whole journey of you know collecting and researching if that you know also was therapeutic and oh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, it oh, was God. um i felt like i um i mean i always felt like i knew her so well but i um she really was a mystery. Uh, yeah. And there was so much about her art, her life, and just her that she was so humble, you know, and uh, secretive. And so mm -hmm. kind of learning about her and reading her poetry and just diving into her art in this way was um, hard sometimes, but also just really beautiful and definitely part of my own processing for sure. You know, mm -hmm. I felt in some way like I couldn't move forward until this had been done, you know? So when yeah. it was finally done, it was just like another marker in in the whole process of grief, which I still don't even understand quite yet. Right. It's all a journey, um, but I'm very grateful that, you know, everyone worked together to make that happen because I think it's all part of that legacy, you know, that we wanted to make for her. Mm -hmm. so. Is the uh, Is the book, is it private or is it something that anyone can access? Anyone can get it, yeah. Um, I made a website for her, um, which has all her songs. You can listen to all her recordings oh, wow. um, and you can download the sheet music. And then there's like a poetry page where you can go and buy the book off of like blurb and get your copy and stuff. Or you awesome. can download a PDF too. So yeah, I'll make sure yeah. that I uh, put a link to that. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> she was amazing. People should learn about her. She really yeah. was. Yeah. 
Um, going back to your album, uh, I know that um, writing is obviously a big passion for you, and it's something that you um, you know teach a lot at the school. I'm curious to know what is your writing process? Is it um, something that's just a constant part of your life? Some some writers are a little more uh, seasonal <laughs> about it. You know, they'll they'll get into a flow and kind of have mm -hmm. their um, cycles of it, but what is it like for you? Yeah. Um, I think it's more cyclical for me too. Um, I usually become pretty, uh, tunnel vision, uh, on the projects that I work on. So, um, and they consume me whole, wholly, you know? Um, so, when it was baby Bushka, when that was all starting, I mean, that's all I lived and breathed was Kate Bush. <laughs> I couldn't like, I was like, oh my God, am I ever going to write original music again? I just, <laughs> all I dream about are these songs that she wrote, you know, and like, um, and, but I go through phases, you know, um, and I feel like uh, for me, I guess it's uh, usually um, based on, you know, the emotional, uh, currents that are happening in my life that make me want to write otherwise um I feel like I, I'm too busy doing other things and uh, my life now as a 35 year old woman is filled with so many other projects besides my own songwriting projects so they often take a back burner these days um which is why it felt really nice to just take two weeks and just make a record which is how I like to how I like to create and record is just like take that chunk of time and just do it um, instead of drawing things out and spending, you know, months or years, you know, working on an album, you know, it's not really how I, how I like to do things. Um, and I guess, yeah, what am I trying to say? I think, um, yeah, I, I guess it comes in waves. I kind of mm -hmm. go through lulls where I feel extra creative with the original music. And then there's times where I, I feel like I'm absorbing more and, um, in taking the inspiration and, Mm -hmm. waiting for the right time yeah so yeah and down to like like really getting in the weeds what when inspiration kind of sparks are you do you wait for that or do you are there things that you kind of proactively do to get mm. ideas going and moving yeah um it's funny, I feel like with the original music, it either starts with me singing in the car uh -huh. <laughs> and recording voice memos, or it's me sitting at the piano feeling really emotional. Um, okay. And then it, they just kind of come out. And then uh, the first draft will be pretty organic. And then I, I'll, I'll work on it for a while after that. Like it'll sit with me and I might leave it for two weeks and then come back to it or some songs, you know, kind of are left unfinished until the actual album gets recorded. And then I'm like, All right, I have to finish the song now, you know? Yeah. Um, but I guess uh, what, yeah, I think um, listening to music and other artists is inspiring to me and makes me want to write music. I think that's mm -hmm. probably the biggest one. Um, and, uh, and having conceptual ideas. I feel like more and more my, my creativity is morphing into this more, uh, conceptual performance driven um, art where it's not necessarily about just the recording or the album, it's more about the concert and the experience I can create for the audience and mm. the visual aspect. And that has been uh, what's driven a lot of the work recently. And um, 
made me want to create things for that. And that's really fun. I think baby Bushka has inspired me a lot in that way, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Well, okay. how, um, with the visual and, and more of the, you know, the conceptual thing going, how important is the live performance to you in live in per, live mm -hmm. in person performance versus yeah. is this something do you feel like looking down the road into you know 2021 if things are still the way they are now yeah and, and we're we're limited <laughs> on live performances is it something you'll consider performing online or what are your thoughts about that uh yeah i mean i did one concert online in back in um august and it was a fundraiser for um the Beirut explosion that happened. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's so funny. I tried so hard to curate that concert as much as possible. Like I built an entire set. I had like three of the girls from Baby Bushka dress up as owls. There was this, this this whole projection that went with it. And we didn't talk the entire time. Like it started and it was like a theater performance and it okay. went through this whole thread and it ended. And it was so stressful. I was like, oh my God, I'm never doing this again. It was so strange. I mean, not only because I had no idea if the if it was even working. I was like, we're right. in it now. I'm like, I don't even know if we're streaming, but okay, let's just keep going. And luckily we were. Um, but I personally love to um I love to create an experience for an audience. For me, that's what's really exciting, right? And so I feel it's so hard to do that, obviously. Like I gave in as many instructions as possible to everyone, like light candles, you know, mm -hmm. make sure all these things are, you know, try to create your atmosphere at home to be able to properly receive what we have on offer, you know? Oh, yeah. um, and it was a ticketed event. Like people had to go through the process of signing up and paying money. And so it wasn't a free live stream, you know? So I felt like there wasn't a commitment that was already being created, which was mm -hmm. good, which is what I wanted. But still, you know, it's like you, I hear back later, oh, yeah, I was like on a jog and I was like watching your live stream while I was jogging or like I was cooking and, like, and I, no, 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 and no. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and for me, there was also, you know, was, you know, you finish all these songs and there's just it's just like crickets, you know, you just have it's so hard, you know, that feeding off the audience and the energy and the, and the you know, the communication and dialogue that you have with audiences for me one of the one of the most exciting things about performing and so without that I I um I don't know and I and I don't like to perform a lot I like to perform like once every six months and make it really special yeah. so I feel that I probably won't do any more until I can do it in person I feel like that's it for me that's honestly interesting that's yeah. really interesting to me uh, I'm I'd like to know like for, for you as a performer, when you have that much um, lead up to a show and that much anticipation, mm -hmm. you know, as performers, we all have nerves no matter what, no matter how often you you do this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, how does that how does that play out for you as far as like, because I mean, pre COVID, you know, I would perform like not nightly, but you know, pretty often yeah. and and you kind of you kind of just drop into this like flow where there's yeah. definitely nerves but it kind of just turns mm -hmm. into more of a an energy but mm -hmm. um how does that play out for you yeah um i guess for me it's um i don't necessarily feel nervous or feel like i'm out of um you know a practice mm -hmm. by not 
performing so much because a lot of preparation and rehearsal does go into it, you know? So like for Baby Bush, it's the same thing. Like we won't play, um, we'll only play every six months in town, you know, um, and never less than that. And so, but we're rehearsing every week leading up to that. So I feel like we feel really prepared and when it happens, it's really exciting. Yeah. But for me, I guess it's like, um, there's so much that goes into the actual event and performance and concepts and art that I just don't feel like if I did it more often than that, it would have as much of an impact. Mm -hmm. For me, that's, uh, that's, you know, an important part of it, but also just energetically, I just, I put so much into those that I don't know if I could do them any more often than that. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, I guess, and it's always changing. Like I, I from, for the Natula stuff, I feel like I rarely do the same thing twice. Like mm -hmm. the one, this performance is like this. And then next time is gonna be totally different because it's been six months and I've had many other inspirations and sort of ideas that have come up. But um, with the baby Bushka, that, that's been more like fine tuning something and growing and evolving, you know, the, 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 cr the creative, you know, whatever thing that's been created. And so, um, but it's the same thing. Like, I feel like if we played more than um, every three to six months, I feel like it'd be hard to get the sellout shows that we do, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I feel like making people want something is an important part of the whole um, the whole thing. But it's different, you know, because I'm not a gigging musician. So like, I, have, you know, there's girls in the band that, that play and that's their full-time income, you know, and and they're, and they're doing all kinds of gigs. But for me, I guess with the... Um, Natula project it's it's just about the art and so I don't mm -hmm. feel the need or desire to do it more than when it when it happens yeah would that be different for you if you were doing the tour would would have having a different audience you know mm -hmm. each time change for you would mm -hmm. that make it yeah you know? sure I guess touring is totally different right and so um I'm guess I'm speaking more locally um yeah but I love touring. I love playing every night. And when Baby Bushka goes on tour, that's like the best feeling ever. And, and I've done Natula tours before. And, and that's awesome because that's a different kind of like flow that you get into that I really enjoy, especially with Baby Bushka, where it's, there's so many elements to the show that sometimes you rehearse so much and then you do like a San Diego, LA, San Francisco, like little short weekend run. And then you're just like over and you're like, oh, but I, we were just getting into it, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the UK tour was really nice because it was like 11 shows almost every night. And by the end of it, it's like the whole show's changed for you. And you finally feel like you warmed up almost it's it's cool yeah. so I love touring too yeah it's just different I guess when you're touring or even just putting a project together um how how are you inspired for the visuals and when you put those elements into a show how do you manage them within a show do you <laughs> is everyone just <clears throat> rehearsed with their visual or do you have someone I don't know if this is the right term, stage managing or something sure. like that. Yeah. Um, are you talking about Baby Bushka? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's pretty much um, uh, the vision is there from the beginning and, and has been from the very first show. It was sort of like, this is the vision and this is what I see. And and there's going to be these three women in the front. We're going to be dancing and this is what we're going to wear. And these are the colors. And 
And it's all very much inspired by Kate and her music and her visuals. Mm. And there's no imitation, which is, um, you know, it's not, for me, that's not, there's no nothing creatively exciting about imitating what she's done, but to be inspired by her and then make it our own and to use her as the, the seed that allows you to kind of go off of that is, is just awesome to have that kind of muse. And then of course her music is just so, so deep. And then to be able to interpret that um, is just where all the vision comes from. And that's, I think what makes it feel so authentic for Kate Bush fans because they can recognize those things when they watch the show, even, yeah. even though it might not be obvious to someone who you know hasn't seen Kate or doesn't know Kate Bush very much or, but for the people who know and are diehard fans, you know, they look at Baby Bushkin and say, wow, they've taken it, they've made it their own, but it's still really pure and respectful in all these other ways. And so um, I think that's the key, just being authentic to like why you do it and what 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 it is you're saying. And and she's just so fun in that way because she is so eccentric and um, has so many stages that she's been through where she's been the cabaret and the camp and the um, hyper mime theatrical and then the more demure, you know, older version of herself. And so there's so much, it's almost like the stages of womanhood. That's how I, that's how I feel about it. And, okay. and then as the band has grown, like now it's just, it's just changed because of the women in the band, you know, and what they bring to it. And the songs now mean something completely different to us, you know? Yeah. And so that's really, um, it's become sort of this monster that's just kind of now doing its own thing. I don't have to work so hard anymore yeah. <laughs> to bring it together. And, and everyone's got, you know, great creative ideas. And so um, it's just, it's so much fun. I, it's hard to describe the kind of magic that has grown out of it, but it's really there. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Did you say that it, was it a baby Bushka um, album that you, ended up releasing online or was it your own album? Yeah. Yeah. It was a baby Bushka album okay. um, that we recorded, uh, April, 2019. And, um, and we made some vinyls. We made like, we printed like 500 vinyls. We sent 400 to the UK cause we were going to go on tour and uh, 100 here. And then of course, when the tours got canceled, we decided to sell them online for a period of time and, and, um, and raise money for the band during the pandemic. So, mm, okay. yeah, but that is available. You can listen to it on a band camp. So, okay. and um, sure. yeah. yeah. So now that you have this new album that you're gonna release, yeah. having lessons learned from the previous album release online, uh, are you going to wait to release it? Or are you going to release this one online too? And what, what worked, what didn't work for you? Mm. Yeah, I feel like uh, um, it's so, so weird thinking about releasing an album just because of the times. I feel like it's really hard. I feel like people don't really release albums anymore. They release like single, 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 right. and then the album will happen, you know? Uh, for me, the album is like split into two. There's like a side A, side B. I think of it like a vinyl where there's like this light side and this dark side. Mm -hmm. And um, I almost want to release it with visuals. So okay. I have an idea for like a short film for the dark side, the four songs sort of to weave together into this sort of longer short film. And so 
it might be a while before I release it because I want to make that to go with it. So (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. It might be like a year before anyone hears this album. Sometimes I make things and I don't release them at all. There's just like a vault where I've just like put so much energy to making seen the light of day. (laughs) And there's like, nope, not going to release it. (laughs) Maybe in like 30 years. Yeah. What, what would be an example of what would prevent you from releasing something? Just do you lose interest in it? Or do you just not? Do you lose confidence in it or interest? Um, It's more just like either not being happy with it, um, and not feeling like it, it was, um, you know, just sort of being a perfectionist and if and not wanting to compromise my my artistic vision. Yeah. So if it's not what I envisioned, or if I'm not satisfied, then, um, you know, why release it? It's just like, you know, I, I don't see the point in that. It's like, oh, so I mean, uh, so that's sometimes the reason. And then sometimes it's just uh, feeling like I've moved on so quickly. So I guess, yeah, it's maybe not losing interest, but feeling like I, uh, yeah, I guess I'm not, I'm not inspired by that anymore. And I feel like the sound has dramatically changed. I feel like that happened more earlier in my career when I was developing as a songwriter and things were just happening so fast for me. And Mm -hmm. uh, as far as my own voice and sound was changing so quickly that I would make things, I'd listen to them like a year later and be like, oh my God, (laughs) please. You know, so I've like, I've like uh, made so many YouTube videos private. things that have been out there it's like okay it's time to take you down yeah. <laughs> um so I just I, I think that's kind of normal I feel like that's something that everyone goes through but um I guess more recently I just uh I guess I've become more pickier about what I make and then what I release and wanting it to be you know true to what I want to say and I don't know yeah yes I think it's I go through that really cycle too it's uh but it's more like daily or hourly for me, the cycle that plays out, you know, I'll start something and walk away for a second and be like, that's dumb. Yeah. (laughs) I'm never going to get this again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, so tell me about working with, um, the kids at the studio and your process of songwriting with them. You know, how Mm -hmm. do you, kids are so funny. Um, some, are an open book and are willing to express themselves (laughs) in every way imaginable. But then there are others that are real shy and, you know, closed off to that stuff. Um, How do you, what's your first step with a young songwriter? Um, Yeah, you're right. Totally right. That some kids just, it's so intuitive and they're just like, I wrote a song today and you don't even have to ask them to write a song. And then you're just like, cool, let's, let's hear it. Um, uh, and then some kids are, uh, you want me to write a song, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. God, no. Um, so I guess uh, I love to kind of take away their con- preconceptions of what it means to write a song. And mm-hmm. I often start with a lot of improvisation um, and kind of demonstrating how you can um, either, you know, improvise on the piano without actually knowing anything. Um and that less is more sometimes. And the same thing can go with um, uh, lyrics. And so I often get them to write streams of consciousness and then we put those to music or we'll even take a text that isn't theirs and just start singing it. And so just trying to get them to organically sort of um, experiment mm-hmm. with, with um, just making stuff up. 
and um and with everyone it's so different so um sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's um doesn't flow as much or the student is just too scared you know it's so funny i feel like uh it's uh uh to be so young and to to have so many fears about that stuff you know it's right. sad right so it's, um just trying to give them more confidence and boost them up i think is a big part of it too just like hey don't, don't it's just music let's not be so serious let's make up a song about you know uh Brussels sprouts or something, you know, yeah. uh, and then kind of go from there. It could be about anything. And then we'll make a song and it'll be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Right. <laughs> and then, so I guess it's, um, yeah, I think, I think as a teacher in general, I'm just a very, um, spontaneous and organic instructor and educator where I love to meet the kid and craft our music making together based on their personality. And, um, even just like, even if I have a plan to be able to throw that plan out the window and do something completely different based on what everyone's feeling in the room, you know, and I, I love teaching like that, you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. That's great work. Have you, um, how do you find that kids or are you noticing anything, how they're responding to the conditions that we're living in right now? Are mm -hmm. you seeing um, a change from from before or do you think they're adjusting well i'm sure each one is different but yeah uh, yeah it's i think um the kids that i've been interacting with it's almost like they've adapted somehow uh, in a way and um and it's i mean i i should say this with the kids that i'm i'm teaching in person you know just sort of like they're happy to be there, really happy, and um, they appreciate it, and uh, and they're just um, stoked to be doing stuff in person. And that's kind of the vibe that I feel. With some of my online students, I can definitely feel the the wear, you know, um, and uh, that seems a little harder to watch them. You know, there's some students that are just. I mean, going on like since March that haven't interacted with other kids in person who, you know, have just been at home, you know, and uh, real quarantine and still learning like that. And I can imagine that is um, hard. I don't know what it must like to be a, to be a parent right now. I can't even comprehend. And mm -hmm. I have so much compassion for parents right now, just because I don't think it's... Um, you know, healthy or natural for a child to continue learning that way or, um, and teachers too, classroom teachers who have to teach that way. is just not ideal for sure. And so, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a, a, it's a mind blowing conflict. I have two young daughters who are six and eight and mm -hmm. we're fully homeschooling them right now. And it's, it's like, what's so challenging about it is that we're dealing with something that as adults we're not equipped to deal with yeah and then we're responsible for helping our children cope with it yeah thankfully mm -hmm. children are so adaptable yeah you know and i find that or what i'm seeing is the children are adapting better than the adults are yeah. in yeah. most cases you know um, but as a parent, it's, it's heartbreaking because I, 
want my kids to be at school with their friends. I want them to be doing yeah. all their activities and, you know, having a great time. But on the other hand, I yeah. want to guard them sure. from anything that could potentially, you know, bring harm yeah. to them. And so there is just this wacky, you know, it's just such an awkward, bizarre yeah. situation to be in. And you know, yeah, you just have to make the most of it, I guess. Yeah, it's the best you that you really can. Do. Yeah, and just kind of taking it, you know, day by day and figuring yeah. things out as we go along. But yeah. I love that you're doing the work that you're doing. I'm sure it, it's, you know, incredibly meaningful to them. Thank you. It's yeah. meaningful to me. I'm happy to be teaching again and continue to be able to teach.